And this is uh, Hebrews 11, Living by Faith. I'm just reading from the CSB this morning. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For, it, for by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man. Because God approved his gifts, and even though he is dead, he still speaks through faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what would not yet seen, and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring. Even though she was past the age, since she considered that one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky, and in the numeral as this and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents of the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a home, seeking a homeland, sorry. If they were thinking about where they were from, they would have an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offered his one and only son, the one to whom it has been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they did not fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he has grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God 
rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach to be, for the sake of Christ, to be greater than wealth of the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses preserved as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Depath, David, Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained weakness, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Grace. Why don't you guys welcome up Andrew Tran as he uh, is going to bring the message on this epic chapter. Awesome. Let me, let me just pray for you briefly before you start. Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Lord, I pray that you would come right now through your Holy Spirit, sanctify us, set us apart in your truth. Be with Andrew. Um, may the words of his mouth, the meditations of his heart be pleasing in your sight. Give and give grace to us who hear. Um, and I just ask that you would be with us all now, for, that this would be for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Tyler. I appreciate it, man. Um, can we give a hand to Grace for reading out that epic chapter? Oh my gosh, you did great. You did fantastic. I would have been like, oh my, well, I'm about to do something now. So, but no, you did, you did fantastic. Thank you so much. Hi, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the elder candidates at City Light North Adelaide. It is my um, privilege and honor to be bringing you Hebrews 11 today. Um, I'm so glad to actually do this in person. Tyler and I, we've been, we've been trying to set up at least me coming here, but then, you know, COVID happened and nine months later, here we are. So, great. Um, before we get into the, the message today, I want you to have a look at this photo here. This photo here. Oh, great. Not great from the projector, but anyway, we'll go. Does anyone know what this, what this, what this is at all? 
No. It's the final scene from Finding Nemo. Anyone seen Finding Nemo? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Great. Most of us know what we're talking about here. Great. So Finding Nemo, um, if you don't know Finding Nemo, it's a TLDR. The, it's a story of, it's a wholesome story of a father finding a son. But if, I want to really focus on this scene for a second here. Um, for context, Nemo, the, the little fish, he gets captured. He gets brought into a dentist's office and he gets locked up with these, this ragtag group of exotic fish. Essentially, they're imprisoned. Um, and long story short, they hatch a convoluted plan to get Nemo and themselves out. Um, and they seem to do the, the, the which involves the, the seemingly impossible task of dirtying the tank, getting into plastic bags, rolling down a counter, going out a window, going to bushes across the street and into the Sydney Harbour. And that sounds really ludicrous and ridiculous, but by the end of the movie, you see them actually do it. They actually get they dirty the they dirty the the tank. They actually get into the into the bags. They roll across the the road and into the harbor, and they did the impossible. They escaped a life sentence. They they're free fish. They're no longer bound to the confines of the aquarium, and they throw this massive, big old triumphant cheer. But after, as the cheer dies off, you see the realization in their in their faces and bloat remarks. Now what? <laughs> and it fades to black. Um, if, you re if you've seen this scene, it's actually quite, the, the comedic timing is it's, it's fantastic. Um, and it's a great end to a great story. But when you think about it, when you stop and think about it, now that they're free, now what? Now that they're free, now what? And to make things worse, when you really think about it, they're, f they're fish stuck on, on, in plastic, plastic bags. It's, it doesn't sound like it's much different, right? And I th when I think about this more, I think this is a great illustration of the Christian life. As Christians, we, we, we have Jesus who's defeated sin and death for us. He's done the impossible. He's, when we've accepted the gift, free gift of grace, um, we can tell, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And for a moment... In our initial conversion, we, are, we live really thankful, grateful lives. We live life with this triumphant cheer. But if you've been a Christian for long enough, you know that the emotive sparkle of that triumphant cheer often lasts just for a little while, right? And when life gets going, I'm sure many of us are like bloat. We ask, now what? Now that we've become, become Christians, now what? Now that we've been saved from sin and death, now what? And especially when life gets hard and the rubber hits the road, what, what do we do about this thing, about this Christian thing? And that's what our text in Hebrews 11 is talking about today. Um, if you've been following um, he, uh, the, the Hebrew series, if you haven't actually been following, hit up the podcast. Um, but as you would know, if, for, for those of you who have been following at home, Hebrews was written to a Jewish Christian audience, and they were pretty acquainted with the Old Testament. And in the last chapter, the last two chapters actually, you've been talking about the superiority and the sufficiency of Christ, that Jesus was the only thing that could reconcile people back to God. However, we see by the end of chapter 10, though, that um, these, we find out that these Jewish Christians were actually experiencing uh, quite a lot of hardship. We see this in verses uh, 32, or 30 and 30, 32 to 34 of chapter 10. It says this, Remember the earlier days after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who retreated that way. 
for you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you, knew, you know that yourselves have a better and enduring possession. These Jewish Christians were in the middle of quite a lot of suffering and, throughout the, and you see this throughout the letter of, of Hebrews. And you, you hear that people were leaving and rejecting Christ because they felt like it was just too hard. But as Tyler mentioned last week, the author, he gives them this pep talk he, to, to, to stay the course, to be people of faith, because that's who they were. And that leads us to Hebrews 11. As people of faith, what does it look like to even have faith? What does it mean to act in faith? If you have your Bibles open, I encourage you to keep it open because we'll be going through the entire of Hebrews 11, so it's, strap in, it's going to be a while. Um, but if you look in your Bibles, um, some of them would say that the, the title might be By Faith, it might be Heroes of Faith. This chapter is known as the, the, faith, the faith Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith. Um, and you would have heard from the reading, you could probably tell why that's the case. How this chapter is laid out is that the author initially gives the reader a definition of what faith is. And then he proceeds to give a whole list of examples in the old, from the Old Testament to show what faith in action looks like. And I can see why Tyler gave me this message because it's a, it's a chunky one. I know he doesn't want to do it himself, right? So here we go. I mean, there's so much stuff here. You can actually do an entire sermon series just on this, passage, on the, on this chapter. So if you're, if you're taking notes, essentially the big idea is this. God achieves his purposes through his people who live by faith. God achieves his purposes through people who live by faith. And the goal of this passage is to point the original audience towards people who they would have looked up to, who had heard only of the promises of God, but had not seen Jesus come yet, but yet they still live by faith. And my hope and prayer for you today is that as we go through this passage, that you too would be encouraged by the kinds of faith that these people had and be stirred to do the same. Which then begs the question, what is faith? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, we have a def neat definition, as I said, in verse 1. It's verse 1 and 2 says this. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. Christian faith is not blind faith. In fact, the word faith here isn't even referring to saving faith at all. The word faith here is actually not regarding anything specific, but it's actually rather quite general. The author is defining faith as what? The reality of what is hoped for, proof of what that is not seen. You might be thinking, Trey, what do you mean by reality? Do you mean like Thanos using the reality stone? Reality can be whatever I want. No. No, not at all. Imagine air. Think of air. You can't physically see it. Uh, you, you know it's there. You can't see it though. But if you are into Formula One, you, see, you have wind, if you have a wind tunnel and you have an airflow meter, you can see air. With the right tools, you can see air. With the right tools, you can see the unseeable thing that is actually there. And that tool is faith. In our culture, faith sounds like this baseless, wishful thinking. It sounds like positive, good vibes that are really just really hopeless when you think about it. That's what our culture thinks. But the definition of faith 
mean, the, the definition of faith is that it must be grounded in something. If it's not grounded in anything, then it's just your imagination, right? But for Christians, faith, faith is rooted in something real, something true. And just like how our eyes give us the sight to see physical things, faith gives us the same eyes to see the invisible things. Or as Augustine put it this way, God does not expect us to submit our faith to him without reason, but the very limits of our reason make faith a necessity. And it's by this kind of submission to God, as it says in verse 2, that these Jewish ancestors were approved of by God. For the, uh, the original, for the original um, uh, readers of Hebrews, they would, have been, they would have venerated these heroes because of what they did. But interestingly, God approved of these people, not because of what they achieved, but because of their faith. It's interesting to note, though, that when we start to consider the track record of some of these people in this passage, we notice that some of these people are very, very broken people. Some of them stuffed up real bad. But because they submitted to God and trusted Him, God approved them. So now that we know what faith is, what does it look like? What does faith in action look like? Well, as I said before, you could do an entire sermon series on this passage. In fact, um, if you are in a discipleship group, uh, I would encourage you to look up this article by Thabiti Anyewebley on the Gospel Coalition. He talks about um, Hebrews 20, and he overviews 20 or so aspects uh, of faith found in Hebrews 11. And the article is called The Variegated Nature of Faith. I would encourage you to Google that, have a read of it. Really, really insightful. And it's a good place for you, DJ, to help to start you to help uh, dive you further into the text here. Um, and I know that I can't cap absolute, absolutely cover everything today, but my goal is to try to help you see how God achieves His purposes through people living by faith. I see faith in Hebrews 11 in four different ways. If you're note taking, these are the four things we're going to cover today. We're going to see devotional faith. We're going to see heavenward faith. We're going to see audacious faith. And fourthly, we're going to see sustaining faith. So let's start with devotional faith, shall we? As I mentioned earlier, uh, we know that Jewish Christians were rejecting Christ and leaving the faith. And this is why I think we were given verses 4 to 6, talking about faith expressed as devotion to God. Hebrews 11, 4 to 6 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts and even though he, was, he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found, he was not to be found because God took him away. For, 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 before, for before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who who exist, uh, who seek him. You see, the examples of Cain and no, of Abel and Enoch here from Genesis 4 and 5 demonstrate that God approves those whose faith leads them to devotion towards him. In verse 4, even the author admits, yes, uh, Abel did get killed, but he was approved as a righteous man because his gift was better. Abel's gift showed that he was devoted to God and was concerned about pleasing God first. 
Conversely, in verse 5, um, we hear this guy named Enoch. And Enoch is, we, just, we have a, a couple of verses of, of him. Um, he says he walked with the Lord. That's all we hear of him in Genesis 5. But Enoch was, walked so much, so closely with the Lord that God rewarded him with not experiencing death. Now, if you read this in the first century and you were a persecuted Christian, this might perplex you. Abel was devoted, but he died? Enoch was devoted, but he got whisked up to heaven. What's, what's the deal with that? The kicker is in verse 6. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe it that, that exists. And what? And that he rewards those who seek him. What's that reward? Is it material blessing? Is it a long life? No. The reward for devotion to God is intimacy with him. The reward to, for devotion to God is intimacy, closeness, nearness to Him. We must not forget that we don't just get saved from our sin and death, but we get saved to God. We get reconciled to Him. And so you can imagine, if you're a Jewish Christian and you were being put in jail for your faith, or if you lost all your worldly possessions because of your faith, you knew that, you would be, be, you knew that in your devotion to God, that nothing will be able to separate you from him. Not life, not death, not angels, nor principalities, not the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor heart, like nothing creation, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And that's the same for us. Our faith in Christ expressed as devotion to him is, ex is in itself the reward. No matter the circumstances, nothing can take God from you. If Christ is truly better, our devotion to Christ should cry out, take the world, but give me Jesus. But faith isn't just expressed just as devotion to God. That's one thing. Faith also looks heavenward. Let's keep reading verses 8 and 10. 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as Isaac and Jacob did, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. If you know the story of Abraham, God's call, God calls him and gives him this unconditional covenant. He says, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation of many descendants. I'm going, to make your, I'm going to give your nation a promised land. I'm going to use your nation to bless the nations. And this covenant God gives to Abraham sounds a bit ridiculous. And the author piles on the ridiculousness of the situation, verses 11 and 12. It says this, By faith, Sarah, who was Abraham's wife, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive, even though she was past the age, since she was considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as, as the grains of the sand along the seashore. Think about the absurdity of God's promise to Abraham and who, who, is, who is making it to? Sarah, who was barren, and Abraham, who was 75 and has probably has as many complicated health complications as Donald Trump has right now. Like, look, look how the author describes Abraham in verse 12. He was so old that you might as well be dead. That's, that's, the how, that's how the author describes Abraham. And God says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And you might be thinking, how does this help the Jewish Christians suffering? 
All we see is obedience from these verses. And yes, it is a call to trust and obedience, but we find out that faith is, uh, but we find out a bit more about the faith of Abraham and his family in verses 13 to 15. It says this These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and what? Temporary residents on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham and Sarah didn't get to see the nation that would become Israel. They did see that God was faithful in some of his promises by giving them their son. But verse 13 and 16 tells us that their faith in God made them look heavenward to a better country, to a better place. It's clear here that what helped Abraham and Sarah get through their doubts, get through their pain, get through their suffering, get through their squalor, get through their homelessness, what got them through was not looking at the promise that God had given about them, or given them about a nation and their land, but it was their faith that looked forward, further forward to a faithful God who was preparing them a place in the heavenly city. What this would have read, meant for the reader is that no matter what, no matter your, the doubts that they had, no matter the pain or suffering they were experiencing, no matter the poverty they were in, that these things would pale. They would pale in the background for the man or woman whose faith was looking forward to the new creation. And that's the same for us. Remember how I said that faith is the tool which we see the invisible? When we grasp when we grasp how perfect and sinless and how amazing the new creation will be and compare to what we have now, and we keep that in the line of sight and we, instead, of a, instead of like in the review mirror, how much easier would it be to endure that microsecond of life that compared to eternity? I realize for some of us, you might be thinking, yeah, heaven, hey, looking forward to heaven, I get it, that's all good and stuff, but what about now? What about now, Tran? Like, what use is faith if it's not useful now? And as much as I would argue that keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus on the new creation is useful now, I, mean, I, I agree. But the lens we see life through, this tool we call faith, isn't simply about perspective. Which leads me to my third point, the, the, aspect, the third aspect of faith I see in Hebrews 11, which is this audacious faith. Verses 23 to 26, 26 says this, By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, had, when he had grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered, what? Reproach for the sake of Christ, to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. You see, the suffering Jewish Christians reading this needed to do something with their lives, and that's the same with us. Faith here is audacious. This is where faith-guided perspective propels into faith-driven action. Faith-guided perspective propels faith-driven action. 
Moses was looking ahead at the reward and he acted in accordance to his faith. And we see more of this in verses 27 to 29. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. When you think about it, that's kind of weird, right? Sprinkling of blood. So that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians, when the Egyptians did this, they were drowned. We didn't just get saved as Christians and live the next life, no, no, live the life now for the next 80 years and say, woe is me, and then party for the next 10,000. That's not how life works. We've been prepared with good works to do in advance. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God has entrusted us with the gospel and time on this earth so that we would live for his purposes. And we don't, we don't achieve, think about this, we don't achieve things for God, but rather faith enables us to live lives in a radical way so that God's all-surpassing power will be put on display in our lives. Now, the temptation when reading this Bible passage, is that, especially this passage, is like, man, I don't know, I don't know, Tran. This whole of faith thing, this, I could never be like them. I could never have faith like them. These were the OGs, Tran. These were the goats. These were the greatest of all time. And it's true. You ain't, you ain't Moses. Last time I checked, you ain't Moses. But the thing is, Moses' faith wasn't the thing that was parting the Red Sea. God was parting the Red Sea. God, in his infinite wisdom, has decided to use us weak, weak Christians to achieve his purposes, because when he does, the world gets to see him flex. We have such a big God. If we know that Jesus is truly better than everything, we, and that he can do anything, we might as well just ask, right? Whether or not God does it is up to him. Now, this doesn't mean that I get to ask God to do anything I want. God is not a genie. But it certainly means that I can put all I have at his feet and plead with him to do the impossible if it were up to me. This is what it means to live audacious faith. Audacious faith doesn't mean, audacious faith though doesn't mean that suffering doesn't come our way. A common thought in the Western church today is that man, if, I just, if I just have enough faith, if I, just, uh, if I just put myself out there for God, God will just reward me for being bold. But just because you're putting skin in the game doesn't mean that God is going to spare you from suffering. If God didn't spare his only begotten son from suffering, why would he spare, why would he spare you? But as the author of Hebrews closes out this passage, he gives us a sobering reminder that faith doesn't always end up with what appears to be quote-unquote success in this world. I'm going to read 32 to 38. Um, It says this, What more can I say? Time is too short to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, and quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. That sounds pretty successful, right? But then what does he say next? In 35 onwards, he says, also, 
other people were tortured. Not accepting release so they might, be gain, they might gain a better res- resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. There was stone. There was sword in two. They died by the sword. They wandered in their sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and, in, and holes in the ground. For the Jewish Christian reading this, might, you might be, they might have been left wondering, how does this encourage me in my suffering? And you might be thinking the same. But there's a reason why the author says here that the world was not worthy of these people who lived and suffered by faith. That's because these people had yet to see Jesus. But they still trusted God at his word. These people still hadn't seen Jesus, but they still trusted God at his word. And then you have the readers of this letter, including us, who are on the other side of the cross, not only know the promises of God, but we've, we have eyewitness accounts that they've, been, that they've been fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If the heroes of the Old Testament were sustained by their faith in the promises of God, surely that means for us that our faith can be sustained by the finished work of Jesus, right? Even in the face of torturing, mocking, scourging, imprisonment, and complete destitution, we can have great confidence in the faith, in faith that Jesus will sustain us to the very end. Christian faith is not blind faith. It is based on the true historical work of Jesus on the cross. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are fools who should be pitied. But because Jesus did rise from the dead, our faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will sustain us to the very end. That's such good news. So what does this, what does this mean for us? What does this mean, Tran? Well, I think that means two applications. One's a direct application and one's kind of personal for yourself. The first direct application is this message is relevant for all Christians, but it's especially for those who are being persecuted around the globe today. In the West, we, we live really sheltered lives. It's, unhi- it's highly unlikely that you'll be uh, tortured or mocked or experience destitution from, because of your faith. But hey, maybe, I don't know, maybe after hearing this message, you might feel like, you know, God's calling me to live an audacious life and go to a country with closed borders. Maybe that's you, I don't know. But nevertheless, we must remember our brothers and sisters around the globe who are suffering for the gospel. We might not be suffering like them, but we sure should pray for them. <laughs> And you might actually be an answer of prayer for them. As they, as they endure in their faith, we can help them endure. We can partner with organizations like International Justice Mission or Open, Open Doors. We can support a Christian family in, poverty, in, an, in an impoverished country through like compassion. We can do things to help alleviate. We can, help, we can do things to help people, in, uh, help other Christians around the world endure. That's, that's the first kind of direct application. But secondly, I want to talk about just us for as well. This whole passage is about enduring faith. But ultimately, it's about God achieving his purposes through those living by faith. As I said, we live in a sheltered uh, society as Christians, but hostility towards Christianity is growing in our progressively secularizing culture. And 
I can guarantee you it's going to get harder and harder to be a, be a Christian. And for some of us, 2020 has been hard. I get that. 2020 has been really hard. And the idea of exercising faith seems, might seem a bit difficult because we feel like we have, we, we have so little of it. But brothers and sisters, let me encourage you as we finish today. Let me encourage you this way. If God achieves his purposes through those living by faith, it's not the size of your faith that counts, but rather it's the object of your faith that counts. It's not the size of your faith, but who your faith is in. And God wants you to exercise your little faith that you might have in him so that in your weakness, he may be proven strong. And you know what? When you get to know the object of your faith better, the size of your faith grows. You might feel overwhelmed with life and its challenges right now. You might feel pressured as you, 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 might, be, you might be the only Christian some people know. You might feel under the pump at work because you're known as the Christian person. Or you might be socially outcast because you're, you're a Christian. But no matter what, no, no matter what, the result of living by faith looks like, the result is not up to us, but it's up to God. It sounds a bit redundant to say this, but successful faith looks like faithfulness to God. And this is the most freeing thing, brothers and sisters. This is the most freeing thing. Augustine said, faith is to believe what you do not see yet. The reward for this faith is to see what you believe. Brothers and sisters, I pray that may we see Christ better. May we see, may we see him as better. So, so much so that we can confidently say that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? Let's do that. Let's pray together. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus on the cross. He did not account himself equality with you, but gave up himself for us. We thank you for the men and women in the Bible and in Christian history who, who can spur us on because of their faith. Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see what you're doing. Help us use our faith. Help us to persist in it. May we strive with all our might, knowing that you've won the battle, you've defeated the war, and you've reconciled us to you. Drive us to be more devoted to you. Help us to be more radical, more trusting, more bold. Help us to do this by the power of your spirit. We cannot do this alone. But we thank you that you have not left us to our own devices. God, you are so good that, you've, that you even gave us the gift of faith to start off with. Pray that you sustain us and help us to endure to the end of days. We know there's no better place than in your hand, and we thank you for that so much. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that word. Tran, it is now a time in our gathering where we do exactly what, what we've been hearing, where we, we do something that helps feed and, and strengthen our faith. We're about to have a, a meal together, and I know it's, it's, not, it's not lunch yet, but this meal that we're about to have is the most important meal that you 
or I will have today or any day because it points us to the 